Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. And on this podcast, we break down and review television shows and movies. And in every single season, we primarily cover one or two series in parallel from week to week. And interspersed there, especially now in this time of prime television, is usually other TV shows and movie recommendations, or at least suggestions. We just recently wrapped up a season which ended with the finales of both Your Honor, a Brian Cranston starring series on Showtime, which just wrapped up last week. Do feel free to check out that series if you are newly subscribed to Showtime or Paramount Plus with the Showtime option. And on HBO, the hugely successful season of The Last of Us, the video game adaptation from some of the creatives that brought us the excellent series Chernobyl. I was not as huge a fan of The Last of Us as Chernobyl for sure. Chernobyl was truly an amazing miniseries. And if you are catching up on that show or either of those shows, feel free to check out our coverage in anticipation of our coverage of the fourth and final season of Succession. I republished a couple of conversations I had last year as we approached the finale of season three of that very memorable season of television. And we will be covering that show from week to week, beginning this upcoming Monday after the Sunday night premiere. Speaking of additional shows that we were covering, we discuss the season finale of the first season of Shrinking. And this very week also, we're discussing The Mandalorian. So catch up on that as well if you are just catching the start of that new season of that Disney Plus series, and expect to hear coverage of other series as well. Starting next week, we get a feel-good sci-fi-tinged dramedy to go along with Ted Lasso on Wednesdays on Apple TV Plus called The Big Door Prize. I will be reviewing that series as well, and maybe continuing to check in with Lucky Hank, the new Bob Odekirk series. But this week, primarily covering the new premieres of Yellow Jackets, which you'll hear in this subsequent conversation. But before we get there, there were a couple of series that I wanted to highlight, three of which are not really recommendations, but might be of interest to some of the audience that is tuning in for our Yellow Jackets coverage, and one which I do recommend, but maybe only to a subset of our audience. So the first, and maybe the one that's gotten the most media coverage, is Daisy Jones and the Six, a series on Amazon Prime about a fictional rock band that broke up in 1977. The inspiration for the novel, on which this show is based, was loosely based on the history of Fleetwood Mac. I would not use that as a framing device for your interest level in this show. I think the less you know about Fleetwood Mac's backstory, which is very different than the one represented here in the series, the better off you are. I ironically found this series to be pretty disappointing. I thought that the framing device was kind of generic. I thought that there was a missed opportunity in not exploring this really, really interesting time period, this early 70s to late 70s, when the music scene changed so much. And I, as a music fan, am familiar with this period of time. And I found that maybe given that my anticipation level for what could be explored here was much higher than what we ended up getting. What we got was kind of a cliched rock storyline, almost taking the types of rock and roll rags to riches stories we've heard and then fictionalizing them, but not fictionalizing them in really interesting ways and simultaneously not using it as a framing device to explore this really interesting pivotal moment in 
U.S. culture and how it and seeing some of those changes reflected within the story of the character of these characters. That being said, I watched the whole entire show because the pull of that story of seeing people struggling and letting their interpersonal relationships lead to the creation of art, of music specifically here, is something that I find really, really riveting. Even though this was not the best version of what the show could have been, I still found it entertaining enough. And what I would say to anybody who hasn't seen the show and is wondering whether they should, I'd say watch the first episode. It's the best of all the episodes of the series. If you love that first episode, that'll probably pull you through the rest of the series. If you really are not engaging at all with the music, you really need to like this music. And I did enjoy the music, by the way. The performers actually did record this album, which is available on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. So listen to the music. If you love that music, you're going to hear a lot of it over the course of the show. If you really don't like the music, then you're probably not going to get much out of this series. I'm very much on the fence. I think it could have been so much better, but given my innate curiosity about this period of time. I liked it enough to keep watching it, even though I feel like it could have been a much, much better exploration of this period of time. A couple of recommendations that I've covered here in this very podcast feed, although they're biographical, nonfiction, if you're curious about this time period and the music thereof. On Apple TV Plus is a series called 1971, the year that music changed everything. And this documentary is truly exceptional and really does introduce you to these characters, these iconic characters all putting out music in 1971, including in this Laurel Canyon area that is explored here in this series of television. And on top of that, all this cultural context for this time period as well. Also set in 1971, or maybe 1970, leading into 71, also something we covered here on the podcast, the Beatles documentary, Get Back, which chronicled the recording of the Let It Be album. And once again, very similar to this idea of a band recording an album as they are falling apart and much more satisfying. And of course, if you love that music, you would definitely enjoy those documentaries. And maybe given that context, I had my set sights set way too high for Daisy Jones, but your mileage may vary. If you're more forgiving than I am, you'll probably love this series. And it's been very popular, if that is any indication. I do think that Riley Keough gives a great performance as Daisy Jones, and that alone could be a reason for you to watch. And she's a pretty good singer as well. Okay, the next Yellow Jackets tangential title that you may be curious about is a series called Class of 07. This just premiered this week on Amazon Prime. I could not get through this show. It's only four hours long. Episodes are about 30 minutes long. I got two episodes in, and then I had to quit. Because the cast is so utterly unlikable, then why am I even discussing it here? Because I think there might be a lot of overlap in the audience that would appreciate this and the audience that enjoys Yellow Jackets. The premise of this show, it's an Australian apocalyptic comedy, a girl who's been humiliated on a fake Bachelor-like reality show. It's very funny, this spoof at the beginning of this series. Decides to cut herself off from society, but an apocalyptic event leads her to getting stuck at her class reunion with all of these girls that she didn't have such a great relationship with in the past. And here we have another show, which jumps back and forward in time. We see these women when they're much younger. We see them now that they're older. And the framing of the entire series, I guess the foundational joke is, imagine even in the apocalypse, even as the world is ending, these women are relating to each other as if they were contestants on 
a reality show. They're just as catty, just as petty. Even when the stakes are as high as they're all going to die, <laughs> they still cannot help but play out this toxic dynamic they had from their young adulthood. And on paper, that all sounds funny, but I think there's a certain stripe of Australian comedy where you are intentionally not supposed to like anybody in the show. And that's exactly the type of show we have here. So for me, I just couldn't get over that, but that's my personal taste. So I think for certain people, especially people who enjoy watching this kind of toxic dynamic on these reality shows, this might be more entertaining for you than it was for me. It has a lot of commonalities thematically with Yellow Jackets. So I was thinking that maybe some of you will enjoy it. And it's a relatively short binge if you want to give it a try. Another show that may be appealing to people who are into Yellow Jackets that just started recently, I think they're about halfway through the season already. I've only seen one single episode. I like the premise of it, but it is maybe geared at an audience much younger for me to appreciate it. A show called School Spirits on Paramount+. Plus. And the premise here is that a high school student has just recently died, and anyone who died on the school grounds is still there. So you have teenagers that have been there 100 years, 50 years, 30 years from every era, and are haunting the school, although sometimes they do cross over into the afterlife. So it's kind of like that series Ghosts that's very popular. But this is not a comedy, although it has comedic elements. It's actually a murder mystery. She's trying to solve her own death. And rather than flashing back like we have in these other shows we actually see that she is able to still see her classmates and her friends mourning her loss, her ex-boyfriend, et cetera, although they can't interact with her. And that's the rules, that there's a support group that she attends and they fill her in. They don't know what you need to do to cross over. It just happens sometimes. And these are the remainder that have never crossed over. And they continue to haunt the school and see these new generation of kids come in and out over time. And our main protagonist, played by Peyton List, is still trying to acclimate to the realities of the circumstance she's in and is just starting to embrace that as episode one ends. I've only seen episode one, as I mentioned. And twist, at the end of episode one, it turns out that one of her friends actually can see her. So she will be able to communicate with this one living person and why she can do this and no one else can. Still mystery here in the series. So all of this is very interesting on paper. I found the performances, the tone of the show is a little cheap. It's very Canadian. It feels like a Canadian series. Maybe it was shot up there. Who knows? And also probably very young adult in its tone. Not really my cup of tea. However, as I mentioned before, many people who watch Yellow Jackets will be all on board with this particular series. All right. Now here's one that I do recommend, but I think this is a pretty limited pool. I would recommend this too. The series also on Amazon Prime, once again, doing free publicity for Amazon Prime, is Donald Glover's first series off of this third and fourth season of Atlanta that just wrapped up last year, a series called Swarm, starring Dominique Fishback. And as I mentioned, this show was created by Donald Glover, along with Janine Neighbors, who is one of the creative forces behind the Atlanta series as well. And who would I recommend this to? If you enjoyed, and this is very contentious, by the way, if you enjoyed the anthology episodes of season three of Atlanta. This is like a protracted anthology episode. And for me, although I had my issues with those anthology episodes, I didn't dislike them on their face. I just disliked them as an episode of Atlanta, not what I was expecting to see, but I did enjoy them as standalone experiments. And that's what we get here. Dominique Fishback is an incredible performance, really surprising 
in every episode, she's almost revealing another aspect to this character she's playing, who is a diehard fanatic for a musician called Nija, who correlates very much so to Beyonce and her hive of fanatics. And what happens when the toxic interactions that we have on the internet, especially around fandom, become literal to the point that, minor spoiler here, our protagonist ends up going out and targeting for murder people who say negative things about her favorite artist on the internet. And she goes on a cross-country mission <laughs> murdering people. And each one of these stories becomes its own cultural vignette. Someone actually made this anal an analogy, not me, that this is the opposite of <laughs> Poker Face, a very interesting analogy in the fact that we have this character who travels around the country in Poker Face, solving murders and being introduced to these microcultures as she travels around the country. And now here we have Dominique Fishback's character, Dre, who travels all over the country, going to all these different microcultures interacting with these different people, but her goal is murder. <laughs> the opposite, maybe opposite shows. So if that sounds interesting to you, it uh, once again also has very good music. Donald Glover writing most of this music and also available to listen to on Spotify or any other music platforms. So check out that if it sounds intriguing to you. As I mentioned, I really did enjoy this show. It has one episode that's a complete clunker to, in my eyes. The rest of it is very satisfying very confrontational, very difficult. So specifically, were you that subset of Atlanta watchers that loved those anthology episodes? You definitely want to check this out. For most other people, maybe not as much, but maybe I'm selling it short. Maybe this is something that has more Main Street appeal. It is funny, sometimes hilariously funny, but also grim and depressing oftentimes. Oh, one last pointer is that episode five, maybe the best episode in the entire show, features essential performance by Billie Eilish, and she is surprisingly good in her performance here. And with all that out of the way, let's get to my conversation with Sona, where we discuss this first episode of Yellow Jackets, season two. All right, Sona, so a couple of things I wanted to mention right at the top. Sona, I forgot to mention this last week was the two-year anniversary of the podcast. No way. <laughs> yeah, two years, believe it or not. And not two years from you being on the podcast, by the way, we still have not hit that two-year anniversary, but two years from the very first episode I dropped, like just in the middle of March, and then I went a few weeks without dropping another one. This is when we were still just talking about music, but- I was about years. to but say, while you and I were arguing about what we should be talking about. <laughs> exactly, right. Exactly. Well, I, was trying I to finally won you. you over to TV, though, so- Oh, I know. It's seen. <laughs> and that made all the difference. <laughs> But more importantly, Sona, I, I don't even, I keep lost track of this. I was trying to keep track of it somewhere because I knew we were getting close. But somewhere towards the end of us covering Your Honor, long story short is within the past two weeks, it was your 100th episode, Sona, 100 nice. episodes. Can you believe that? <laughs> Century Club. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 100 episodes, but hard to believe. Uh, we've had many more than 100 episodes here on the show, but uh, you've been on more than half of them. So that's pretty incredible. Nice. <laughs> you get to put that on your tombstone, if nothing else. <laughs> well, I'm going to be cremated, but we'll discuss the logistics <laughs> of that later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on your urn, on your urn. A <laughs> couple more things just uh, to remind the audience that, of course, here we are, the premiere of Yellow Jackets, 
this is or has been just this past week the kickoff of our new season here on the podcast we will uh, have one more episode sona you and i we're gonna start packing racing towards 200 because we're gonna also be covering succession here on the podcast simultaneously that's right if you're curious, by the way, today premiering on Peacock is Knock at the Cabin. If you were curious to see that M. Night Shyamalan film, it is premiering today. And to the audience in general, anybody who has Peacock. Another thing to mention uh, that you might be interested in, Sona, uh, there I just wrapped up this week uh, was was Shrinking. Yes, I spent my morning watching the rest of it, actually. <laughs> there you go. How satisfied were you there at the end? Okay, well, first of all, I love this show. I really, really do. I have found it so entertaining. I have laughed, laughed out loud so many times. I love Harrison Ford in this. I love all of the actors. I love how in some ways it's like a mini Scrubs reunion. Um, <laughs> so many good things to say about it. So the only um, negative thing I can say is I don't love the whole friends with benefits thing that's happening. <laughs> yes. Um, really don't like that. Partly because I do think adult male female friendships with no um with a deep caring and love for one another but no sexual chemistry are not <laughs> demonstrated enough on tv i don't or movies and media i don't think we see it enough i think inevitably whenever it starts out that way the two people end up sleeping with each other and yep. I understand why. And I think in some ways that's realistic that a lot of friendships that start out that way do end up with people sleeping with each other, <laughs> right. but sometimes they don't, right? Like, like you and I, for example, <laughs> exactly. so, <laughs> I would just like to see that. Like I kind of get invested in this idea of a grown up friendship between a man yeah. and a woman, and it just never seems to stay a friendship. So I'm kind of disappointed on that level. And then, you know, that final scene Yes. which was kind mm -hmm. of telegraphed. I'm not sure that that's this kind of show. I guess I'm just a little yes. bit confused about yes. Yes. how that fits into the feeling of this show and yep. what we've seen yep. so far in this show. I, I'm just a little bit, um, it, it felt like a piece that didn't fit to me. As far as the friends with benefits thing, that was just kind of a cliche that I figured just was going to happen. So, I mean, not that I wanted it to happen, but I guess like I wasn't surprised by that turn. But what I would say is it has a, it's the same criticism I have, honestly, about the Ted Lasso show oftentimes is that, and maybe even more so in the in this show, is how shaggy the structure of the series is itself. And at the beginning of this, this series, I very much pitched it to you as a show about this psychiatrist that kind of breaks the fourth wall and starts giving or psych psychotherapist, I should say, and starts breaking uh, or, or should starts giving direct advice to his patience. And then, you know, zaniness ensues. There's going to be good things. There's going to be bad things. And the show very much was that show for like the first two episodes. And then it really became a, a hangout show about this French mm -hmm. group. And now it's like at the end, they're like, oh, by the way, remember that plot from the beginning of the season? So I'm like, okay, well, well that's weird. It did kind of try to turn into that show again for the last five minutes, like it, or not even like the last one minute of this show. And we won't spoil it here, but not that there's much to spoil on the show, to be honest. But I do feel like they're just trying to set up consequences for what he's done. I feel like that question as to whether he should be interceding so much in his patients' lives, the show itself seemed to have 
like forgotten about that plot for for a long time and that, that whole montage at the end where you see all the mm -hmm, patients mm -hmm. all, all their outcomes it's like some of these people i forgot who they were i'm like this i haven't seen this character in seven weeks <laughs> like i don't know who that person is anymore yeah i felt that way in the rose bowl scene too yes but i mean still very entertaining i just feel they should either make it about the you know ethics of this approach to psychotherapy or not <laughs> if it's just going to be a bunch of people hanging out and right. being funny together which is really in this what it's context become. yeah it's just become the context for it to use the scrubs um, analogy right scrubs was just kind of like these doctors just hanging out friends and then there would be some basic case of the week or something that pushes you through the the plot but i feel like all of a sudden they're trying to add this complexity to the story they've set up when really it's just a hangout show most or has been for most of its run time so anyway it's it's a little sloppy but it definitely is coming back for another season and uh, definitely a lot of fun i mean the i agree a lot of fun and i will say one other thing i liked about this is um i have grown very fond of the liz character to the point that <laughs> yes. I see myself in her quite a bit. It's almost a little bit alarming. So um, I was thinking as I watched these final two episodes, I watched both of them uh, this morning, how much I have grown to like her over the course of the season and how, in my mind, how relatable she is. I think that's a kind of cross the board for this actress. She seems to be able to, uh, she's been, I mean, I've been looking at, I was just out of curiosity, looking at her filmography and between Scrubs and the Drew Carey show and Cougar Town, this woman has been on the air for 20 years more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she's always like working. A pretty incredible <laughs> career she's had. And uh, I guess she has that um, appeal. Yeah, I, I agree. She's a lot of fun and uh, relatable, even though she's, uh, you know, like stereotypically kind of a Karen, but it, I, which they call her right directly on the show. Yes. But, but a lovable one in her own way. So I have to tell you, I have a rock tumbler in a box in my bedroom right now, <laughs> and I'm just waiting for someplace to use it because my understanding is that they are extremely loud and not appropriate for apartment living. So. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this episode. It's called Friends, Romans, Countrymen, Sona. What is, Lend what me your ears. That? Lend me your ears or ear, at least. in this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> First question I have for you is the title sequence here. Did the images change? I did not go back. And I was going it. to ask you the same. Yes. And I think they did. Yes. I'm pretty sure they have as well. It's funny because a lot of what was seen in the season one credits was right there in the, in the opening episodes. It didn't seem to be much of a spoiler. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, there are like this, there's this figure in the woods with no eyes that um, never turned up in the show. So maybe that was just kind of a red herring or maybe just some kind of random spooky vision that someone has supposedly, but it didn't really tie into anything that happened in season one. And I definitely feel like there are different scenes here, but I'm sure somebody I'll have to do some research for next week has already dissected those frame by frame. I'm sure. <laughs> by the way, I don't think I ever did the research. The song in the title credit credits really does sound like something that could have been like some alternative band from the 90s. But this is a new song. So actually, to their credit, it sounds authentically like a lost track from the 90s. But it is but it is not. So much does these days, though. Yes. yes. <laughs> Good point. Good point. But I do think uh, the music in this episode, and I think the music in the series generally, but it's something yes. I was just noticing today. Uh, mm -hmm. The music in this episode is really great, I thought. I honestly thought about at one point doing an episode where I just talked about the music usage in Yellow Jackets. I don't know who their music supervisor is, but they do an incredible job. And to your point, in this episode, we open with Sharon Van Etten's song 17, which mm -hmm. is a song about a woman in her midlife talking to the 17-year-old version of herself. So thematically, it is 
on the nose. <laughs> exactly. On the nose. Exactly. <laughs> and by the way, when we get to the end uh, of, of the uh, episode, they play uh, Tori Amos's Cornflake Girl. And mm-hmm. Cornflake Girl, she described that you were either a raisin girl or a cornflake girl. And the raisin girls were the tough ones who like basically survived everything in their youth. But the cornflake girls were the girls that were like so fragile that they were damaged by their friendships themselves. And I'm like, there you go again. This is exactly what this episode is showing us, right? So I think the um, music coordinator here really accentuates the tone of uh, the show. And also just just in another regard, just watching... Shauna's a husband, uh, you know, rock out in the car, get out of the dresses, <laughs> listening yes. to Papa Roach was a perfect needle job. It was hilarious. Yes. It was hilarious. <laughs> and they have sex, by the way, that sex scene, they have sex to um, number one crush, right? By uh, garbage. Yeah, maybe, maybe we could talk about what that might mean in the context when we get to that particular scene. I like to, something that I hadn't really thought about, but now that you're talking about the music, the use of the, the female artists is really nice too, yes. in keeping with the theme. Yeah, in general, they don't always use female artists, but but primarily, yes, it's been mostly female artists in the on the soundtrack. By the way, and time appropriate too, like uh, all these songs, like Number One oh, Crush yes. came out in '96, which is you know perfect. Like they use that mm-hmm. in the Romeo and Juliet movie, right? So that's exactly the year that this takes place. So anyway, the music supervisor here aces across the board. Excellent work. Yes, good work. We open up. We uh, find out a lot about Lottie here. This is something new. I don't think we've ever seen this technique in the show where we kind of fast forward from the moment in the log cabin to them being rescued, to them coming off the plane, to her yes, in a psychiatric hospital. Yes, which is 1998, hospital. they noted. Oh, you did? Okay. I did not catch that. Excellent. Yes, there was that. a quick title card, 1998. Um, so yeah, excellent. So now we know they they lived out there for almost two years. So mm-hmm. And then she ends up in a psychiatric hospital. You know, she has the magic touch. Roommate is having a panic attack. She sees you. We see her actually do this later in the episode with Travis. She's able Mm -hmm. to calm this person down. And then thus began her cult. And we catch up all the way to her in present time where she is. She has a cult of people who worship her or at least follow her. Yes. And we see also that she went through electroshock therapy. Yes. By the way, this actress, I looked her up, is Simone Kessel. And the reason I looked her up is like, was she a child actress? Because there's a theme here that we have people who were mm-hmm. celebrities True. in their childhood who are now, you know, old. and now we, of course, have Elijah Wood, who we only see momentarily in this episode, but will become a regular on the show. And of course, also another actor who became famous in their youth. And this actress was indeed a child actress, but in like New Zealand. So uh, first okay. of all, what, what's up with New, New Zealand actresses, right? We have... um Melanie Linsky and now this actress as well. But it's just funny that, you know, kind of an outlier in these main roles that are, and there's some that I'm not going to spoil here in case you haven't tracked it down, but there are other notable child actors or at least young adult actors that are going to be popping up on the show later this season. So she was not someone I recognized at all, but I guess she was just the best person for the role. We also see in the past that Lottie has also started to have some kind of magical influence on the other uh, survivors. Natalie and Travis are heading out for their daily um, look for prey and also simultaneously looking for Javi, who disappeared two months earlier after the um, Night of the Mushrooms. Right. (laughs) And she does some kind of ritual where she puts some mark on their hands and then she takes some of their blood and makes them drink some blood tea or her blood. And and, uh, they're like, what is all this? But she says, hey, you keep coming back. And they can't really disagree with that. So they go with the flow. But just a little bit of like one of the rituals that she's starting to. Mm -hmm. And you see her draw her symbol right on the frost in the window or fog in the window. 
I guess the, the symbol has been there before, right? We saw, we saw it on the I street. I think so, yeah. yeah. Has it been in this time period? Have we seen it? Yes. So that okay. symbol, it, it, maybe in episode one or episode two, the first time we ever saw it was it was carved onto a tree. And then I think maybe the very next time we ever saw it was when they found the body in the attic and it was carved into there as well. So once again, it, 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 it. this is something that's kind of vague in the show. And maybe I'll get your feel for that, where you're at with that, because I know you don't like those kind of supernatural elements. But I think what's mm -hmm. interesting about the show <laughs> <laughs> up I'll take the point, supernatural over the cannibalism, to be honest, <laughs> but that's me. And we get the, some of that this week, too. <laughs> What's interesting up until this point, and I don't know how long they can keep us in suspended animation here, is the idea that are these episodes actually occurring? Are, are, are there some supernatural elements to it? Or is this just mass hysteria? And also with this symbol, it's just the whole idea of, oh, there's symbols in the woods and now there's symbols in this cabin. Was he a survivor of some kind of cult? Or was he the guy who carved it in the tree and it's just one mm -hmm. person and he carved it there and they have created a whole mythology around it, right? So I don't think the show has given us any clues to push us fully in one direction or another. And I think that's what they're trying to toy with. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that becomes frustrating at some point, but for now it is intriguing, I think. So we do eventually catch up with Lottie in the future. And not a surprise to anybody. We know that Natalie has been abducted by her and her followers. Natalie's there at the compound. Misty's looking for her. She has like done done some kind of investigations to uh, track down where who might have taken her. She shows up at the hotel. She threatens the hotel owner. Uh, he does not back down that this is a place where he keeps everybody's secrets. But in investigating the room, she notices that someone had kicked in the door because she sees the wood fragments mm -hmm. from the door jam. And by the end of the episode, she's peeks over and sees that camera, and she's going to want to take a look at that security footage. I'm sure. Yes. I mean, this is an interesting thing that came up practically here and came up in my head as I was watching this. Is this set in, in 2022? When, when are we watching the current day period? Do you know? It's it's 96. I think it's their 25th anniversary. So I believe that would have been 21 for season one. So, but okay. And this is picking up, I guess we should actually make that point. This is picking up immediately after the events yes. of 2020. I mean, obviously we still see Natalie like fighting in her restraints. So I'm, yes. I don't, it doesn't seem that she's been there for months. seems like she's been no. there for days. <laughs> because, you know, today, and I think probably there has been even some change since 2021, even though it's not that long ago. You know, yeah. we've talked about this before. There are just cameras everywhere. Yeah. The idea that you can, in this day and age, in the New York metropolitan area, go anywhere without there being some trace of you being there, it's slim to none, really. I actually was thinking about this in connection with the art studio scene. Oh, yes. Good point. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Thinking that like it's very hard to get away with something in 2023 anyway, because there is almost always going to be some trace of you driving by someplace or, you know, like somebody caught your license plate or whatever yeah. it may be. Yeah, actually, that's a good segue to jump over to Shauna's uh, storyline. So let's start at the present. This affair she had has somehow rekindled their marriage. Her husband, what's her husband's name? Is it Ken? I don't think it is Ken, although I understand why you would guess Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. There was an E in there. There was an E7 in there. So the most Jeff. common vowel that there is was in there. That's true. <laughs> it was one of the vowel sounds. A name with a um, vowel. How strange. <laughs> <laughs> so uncommon. So Jeff seems to be re-energized as well. So all of this is very bizarre. Suddenly like, very likable, I found. <laughs> yes. Some strange things happen here. One is that 
she has in the safe, the not very safe safe <laughs> in their house. She still has his ID. She has a sketch that he did of her there. After saying and that this- she's gotten rid of everything. Exactly. Also uh, a key. And she notices in the key that there is a secondary key on the keychain, And she thinks it must be an art studio. They think they know. I mean, this is probably a suburban town. There's probably not that many places. They do find the key works there when they arrive at the location. And to your point, it's on the news. They are currently investigating this guy's disappearance. You're absolutely correct. There is going to be someone who is going to look at this person entering that loft, which of course almost certainly is in his name. So this seems like something that's going to definitely come back and bite them. What did you think about the whole situation where we opened with that? Uh, I don't know if it was the cold open or if it came in after the credits, but where Misty is grilling um, Shauna. <laughs> you know, I was really confused for a minute yeah. as to what was happening. And then when I saw it, it all made sense. Um, <laughs> I mean, I suspected I appreciate... once the questions, when the questions started to get like very personal, I was like, oh, this is not, it's not what it appears to be at all. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate Misty's inclination to prepare for anything. And you know yes, what? Yes. Her bottom line advice was good. Just ask for your lawyer. Yes. <laughs> she even baked it into a cookie, just so she remembers. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Shauna in the past is uh, having, uh, you know, speaking of being a cornflake girl and, you know, damaging your friends inadvertently, she has, you know, killed Jackie. Let's back up. She didn't kill her, but she set in motion the events that led to her death. But yes, this was another moment where I thought, like, have we done another time jump? What is happening? Yeah, I thought we were going back in time for a moment there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then I realized it was a, um, you know, a hallucination, but then even worse when I'm like, oh, the, the, the corpse is actually there with her. Like, oh, my God, it's even grimmer. Yes. And she accidentally detaches her ear at one point when they get into a fight. She's fighting this frozen corpse. Mm-hmm. And also we discover in this whole thing, she's actually supposed to be out there collecting the bear meat to put into the stew every day. Uh, and of course they hear her talking. So they know she's having these like... Uh, dialogues in her mind with this phantom Jackie. She does inform them that they're running out of meat, which of course, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we know what the, where that meat's coming next time. It's not just going to be an ear eventually. Travis and Natalie are out every day looking for you know, any other kind of prey yes. that might be out there. And in the dead of winter, those animals have probably moved further down the mountain and there's no nothing for yeah. them to eat. I have a question for you though. When they go out at the end of the episode and they're looking around, they see mm-hmm. some greenery around a tree. Mm-hmm. And Natalie seems very interested in that. And I, did I miss something? I wasn't sure if maybe she was thinking someone had cleared the snow to get to the moss that was on that tree right. or mm-hmm. what the thinking was, or that for some reason, just moss was growing in that spot and the snow right. hadn't stuck there. But I had the same question. It was not clear to me what they were trying to get at. Maybe she saw footprints in the snow or something leading up to the tree, mm-hmm. but there was nothing there. It was, but, but you know, it would be interesting True. that it's growing, but yeah, I, I didn't understand the relevance of it, but maybe it's just set up for, for something later. I'm sure it set up, it sets up something. So what did you think of the idea when they're in the art studio? Sorry, we're jumping all over the place here, back and forth, but um, I thought that bottle was going to be some kind of lighter fluid. And then I thought, what a bold move to just set a fire in the studio. <laughs> I thought they were going to burn it too. Yes. I was like, are you going to burn this place down? Like, what are you thinking? Yes. But, uh, um, what did you think of this idea of like, I will just smear all of these faces? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's going to work. It just seems to me that 
when inevitably someone happens across this, this is just going to seem more incriminating. But what do I know? I guess it, it, exactly. You know, it would make people very suspicious as to what was in these paintings and why was someone trying to cover it up, basically. It's like in the um, in a TV show about a murder mystery where someone has cut somebody out of all the old photographs. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They might <laughs> as well like, have done have that. To grind. <laughs> I understand they can't just like wheel out all the paint. Yeah, like, the many, they... many paintings of her. <laughs> exactly. If they're just going to be wandering out of there with all these paintings, you know, minimally, this is going to turn up on camera and someone's going to say like, oh, maybe they're stealing stuff or whatever. I, I understand. Yeah, the that part checks. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, like you're you're right. They would be better off just cutting the faces out because it's not like someone will say, oh, well, the, the faces are all, you know, smeared out. Uh, no big deal. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> One way or the other, it's the same effect. <laughs> very strange. Very strange. And once again, something that is only going to raise more suspicions potentially. I mean, I guess on the plus side, it is realistic in that the average person probably doesn't have a good idea of how to cover up a murder. These people, yes, these people are terrible at all these things. First of all, <laughs> the burning of the ID, once again, they're not experts at this, obviously. However, it's just like, leave the Leaving ID. pieces behind. <laughs> not yes. in your house. Don't burn it. Or, or I mean, like literally they could have thrown it into a random trash can anywhere. Mm-hmm it would be more likely to disappear than burning it in, in their backyard. Like, it just seems like, don't even bring it home. Like, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> why did you bring, why did you bring those sketchbooks home? Like, don't take, bring any of that home. Why, why are you doing that? That's the one sign of like very bad, Um, you know, uh, you know, how, how bad they are at this. Then you have um, among the cult members, you have feeding Natalie. Do not give her an actual fork. Like, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Misty would never make that mistake, finger by the way. Finger foods only. Plastic forks and finger foods. No <laughs> metal forks. Are you out of your mind? That poor girl gets a fork in the face. <laughs> oh, that was grim. I had to look away. Oh, and of course, the the whole idea of like handling the, the, the paintings. You got to, they have to consult with Misty on all this. Although, I mean, who wants Misty knowing all your dirty secrets? But at the same time, she would be very proficient at disposing all this stuff without raising any yes. alarms. In the past, a few things that I wanted to call out. Taisha is being violent with Van in the middle of the night. She bites her. She's also, mm -hmm. we see that just bruises on her wrists. And Van is just there for it. She's like, it's okay. I love you. What, what are you talking about, lady? This is crazy. I mean, is this that teenage invincibility feeling or what's happening? Because there's no way to say that this lady is not going to get strangled in the middle of the night. Like, I, <laughs> Exactly. It's the bloody it's I love you. that they love each other. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got on this. Um, oh, I guess a side note, I did see Lauren Ambrose in the credits. I'm assuming she's uh -huh, going to be yes. grown up Van. That I don't she know is. for sure. She is. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah. I mean, I don't consider it a spoiler because they actually showed in the coming attractions as well. Yet another actress that became famous as a teenager. She might have been a young adult by the time she was on Six Feet Under. But um, yeah, and she's coming as Van. Another thing in the past that I wanted to mention was, did you notice every one of these dozen or so or maybe more survivors in season one were all in the background? They like never spoke a word. <laughs> Yes. We only were focused. And all of a sudden we have like these four girls just randomly talking. And I'm like, yes. oh, <laughs> those girls will all be dead by the end of this, by the end of this uh, season, I think. I haven't been following the casting news so closely. I think they did cast grown-up versions of a couple more of these women, maybe, oh, girls. I'm not positive, though. It was interesting how all of a sudden these background characters yes. had a lot to say. <laughs> yes. 
in and service they have a whole, of like, plot development, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> Start it's like getting attached shirts. to me now because I'm not going <laughs> to exactly. make it to the end of the season. Exactly. <laughs> It's like the red shirts on the old Star Trek shows where yeah. it's just like, you know, suddenly there's like a romance between these two background characters. Like, oh, at least one of them is dead by yeah. the end of the episode. <laughs> one of them wants to harmonize with uh, Misty. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a friend. Misty's on the outs. Maybe she makes a friend here. <laughs> but we haven't seen her in the present tense. So maybe that being friends with Misty is not always the best thing. Um, right. So that remains to be seen. I think that's definitely going to develop over the course of this season. But I thought it was interesting. They're assembling a map of their surrounding area. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ben so is that uh, was interesting. Helping them put that together. I think most importantly, maybe speaking of Lottie, is when Travis has that panic attack once again, another mm-hmm. panic attack here in the episode when he kind of comes to realizations that his Javi is probably dead. I have a feeling, for whatever reason, that if I had to guess, Javi, I don't think is dead. You know, that would be the easy mm-hmm. thing to do. But mm-hmm. maybe he has found other survivors in the woods. Maybe he's somewhere mm-hmm. else. I think it's possible. I wouldn't count it out. Yeah. Just to make the show more interesting, I wouldn't be surprised if Javi suddenly turns up at some point later on. But Travis has his panic attack, realizing that he might be alone. He lost his father. Now he lost his brother. Lottie comes over and touches his chest and does that thing where she tells him to breathe. But he has a vision, a vision of the tree where they put the heart last year. So once again, is this just something he's experiencing in his panic? Or is there something supernatural going on? Do you have any opinion on that? or? I don't want it to be supernatural. So (laughs) (laughs) I would rather it be some sort of memory flash of some sort, but I can't count out it's supernatural. I don't know what's going on with that cult of the lavender people she's got going. Mm -hmm. There was something about the way that was all happening that reminded me of Nine Perfect Strangers, actually. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, right? They had the barriers up a lot. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but something was like very Nine Perfect Strangers-esque to me. I'm just kind of digging my heels in on what I want the show to be. And I just feel like the cannibalism and the supernatural together are too much. And we're for sure getting the cannibalism. So (laughs) pick a lane. (laughs) Oh, my God. Before we get to final thoughts, I forgot to bring up Taisha in the present tense. This was hilarious. Oh, my God. This lady should not have another dog, first of all. (laughs) Yes, run away, doggy, run away. Holy um, cow. <laughs> what's the dog's name? He had to really... Steve. Oh, Steve, <laughs> yes, run away, Steve. I know your pet peeve with child actors. This kid is like two years older, but maybe three years older than when they shot in the first season <laughs> of the show. And uh, he's obviously so much older, although it's supposed to be continuous with the last season, which is always a difficult thing. How do you square the it circle? It is. I mean, to... it can't be helped. It can't be helped. It's funny because the kid is obviously playing his age. Um, reacting to the uh, mom in a very, very different way where the actor was probably five in season one and they probably were shooting that in like 2020 and then they shot this. He's probably like seven, seven and a half now. And like you said, what else are you going to do? You're going to have this kid act like he's yeah. five? It would look like weird, right? And right. Uh, yeah, so it's very, very difficult. Having kids in the show in general, just, I don't know. Yes, just, I agree. Just avoid it. Just avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> probably for the health of that kid as well. It's probably, you know, <laughs> oh my never, never turns out well for those kids. I love when he's about to get into the car with his mom. <laughs> and Taisha's ex shows up and she's like, get away from her. <laughs> Because of course, like in the context of the show, like she the just found that she's like seen, yes. she just saw that she found that shrine like two days ago. She's yeah. she's a crazy person. Do not go near her. <laughs> oh God. And then Taisha is like, what are you talking about? Why? Exes are so weird. And then she does yes. find what was in the basement anyway. 
<laughs> Let me go check it out. <laughs> she did mention something about the basement. Let me go check this. And then poor Steve walks in. I love her picking up Steve and being like, I'll do better. I'll do better. As if you have any control over this, Chaisa. Come on. You, you can't do worse, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the uh, the credit of the actress, like her shock at this moment. Could you imagine walking in there and after being like, why did my son, you know, like throw away his doll and then try to blame it on someone else and blah, 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 blah. blah. And you walk in there and you're like, there's a decapitated dog head. Jeez. There's the symbol <laughs> painted on the wall. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God, what's happening? <laughs> Somebody crazy has been here. <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> oh, and of course, I, you know, very briefly, uh, we see Elijah Wood for the very first time. I actually expected him to have a bigger introduction here in episode one. We just see that he is investigating this murder that Shauna has committed. Adam. 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 Yes. Adam. Yes. His theory that, oh, look at his, I, I've gotten access to his credit card records. <laughs> Everything's available on the dark web, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, he notices, well, looks like he has a girlfriend because look at these purchases recently. And of course, going down that rabbit hole of Misty's concerned is going to lead to Shauna. So this, I assume, is how Misty's going to connect with him. And then he's going to actually get involved with this investigation of the um, this broader mystery as well. Right. I thought it was a cute little joke where um, she's reading the message board and Misty's like, enough with the telegram shtick. And then the next line is, OK, enough with the telegram stuff. <laughs> yes, I did that. It was very well written. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's pretty much covers most of what was in the episode. Um, so yeah. So the last thing I wanted to ask you was how did you feel about this in general, like as an episode? More importantly, how did you feel about it as a premiere episode? I thought this was a weird premiere episode. I don't really feel like it is in any rush to tell us what season two is going to be about. And maybe it's just confident. Maybe they're just like, nope, we have a you know, nine episodes, apparently it's going to be nine episodes, not 10. We know what, how we're going to tell the story. And uh, this is part one. <laughs> so, I mean, that that it does have a level of confidence, but I also was kind of scratching my head a little bit as far as what, what it might be setting up. And really, it's lack of concern with setting anything up at this point. I totally agree with you, first of all. I do think I like the structure of it. Yeah. Um I like the time we spent in, I guess, all three worlds now, right? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. Of the the plane crash, the current day, and when they were rescued. I, I like the setup of that. I did feel, though, and I agree with you on this, that there just wasn't, um, it felt very quiet. It felt like a very yeah. quiet episode. Yeah. Uh, things were happening, but nothing that really drew you in, sucked you in, put you on the mm -hmm. edge of your seat, developed any tension, and... I feel like we've been talking about that a lot lately in context with your honor too, about how tension can build versus, and better call Saul too, versus slow burn. But I didn't get that feeling of, of tension, even when we're afraid that Shauna is going to get found out for murdering this guy and right. then everybody else for the cover up. Like there just wasn't the seeds of that. I felt of yeah. even like a slow burn tension in that way, it just felt like a very quiet episode that mm -hmm. is calmly yeah. laying the groundwork for something that I assume will come later. I mean, I don't, I think maybe season two of this show is going to be a little bit of a tone shift is the mm -hmm. feeling that I'm getting. Um, I felt like a lot of season one, you know, I was on the edge of my seat of when I was going to have to look away because of the cannibalism, <laughs> right? Um, which never really came to fruition. It, it feels like a shift to me from that feeling. Yeah. 
And whether it's a good shift or a bad shift, I'm not sure. I'm not unhappy right now. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I'm very interested. I'm glad to be back with these women again and the, the girls as well, the younger versions of them. My favorite thing, the most encouraging thing here was I did really like seeing them suddenly rescued because mm -hmm. then it kind of gave me another aspect of the show potentially. I don't know if they're going to actually do this or maybe it won't cap until season three, which they already got uh, automatically got a green light for season three, by the way. It's possible that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wait, I didn't even think about that. They can actually come back home and they, you know, people are asking a lot of questions. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of news stories. They're going to be on television. These girls are going to have to live with the circumstances of what happened to them you know, when they get back home as well. And I'm like, oh, wow, that would be really an interesting time to be with these uh, characters, right? That could be very fun. I like them opening the world in that particular way. But like you mentioned, usually, and maybe this is just expectations for season premieres, usually there'll be, you know, near the end, there'll be some kind of setup for an, another, like a mystery within a mystery that you're trying right. to figure out who, what's this person's motivation or what's this added layer to the mythology that we haven't discovered yet. And that's going to be tantalizing for the season. This felt like the middle of season one, right? Where a lot of stuff I was agree. happening, you know, next week there'll be more stuff and then there'll be more, more stuff. It felt like we're like in mid flight or taking off. Maybe that's their plan. They have a structure for multiple seasons ahead of time because that was our criticism. If you re-listen to our conversation from last year, by the way, that our uh, we felt like the finale was like, that was a good episode. Maybe one of the best episodes right. of the show. I just assumed there would be another episode next week based right. on this episode. Mm -hmm. right? And maybe it is just picking up from where it was last, last season. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a little weird that they didn't try to structure it a little bit more like a standard premiere episode, but I'm interested in that. And like I said, if anything, I'm interested in an opportunity to catch up with these women somewhere in the middle, you know, like sometime after mm -hmm. uh, what happened in the woods. So yeah. And it all remains to be seen. And I'm sure many, many people will be watching the show because it's very, very popular. And I think it's only gotten more popular in the year since it wrapped up. And that's it. Uh, we will, Sona, you and I will be discussing Succession, the premiere episode of that, which has gotten unanimous raves so far. The premiere episode has already been screened by critics. Is this the final season? This is the final season. Yes, indeed. Okay. You won't have to talk about it ever again, Sona. <laughs> 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 and uh, by the way, the I uh, republished our conversations around that show as well from last year, uh, Succession. And that episode's been getting a lot of plays, which gives me the feeling that uh, our premiere episode here on the podcast will be very popular. So oh. uh, yeah, a lot of people anticipating that as well. They're listening to our old episodes, even in anticipation of this new season. So I love I'm it. looking forward to very much and uh, we will get back together Sunday or Monday to record that conversation. All right. As usual. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Catch up with you soon. I'll, I'll talk see to you tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Remember, I'll be That's at your right. house. That's right. <laughs> okay. Talk to you later. Bye.